0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Damascus Road Church. And um, I'm excited that we're actually uh, starting a new series today called Far Country. And um, I'll say a little bit about that. But where, we're, uh, where we're headed is, is uh, going into this series that uh, has to do with living. Oh, look at that. That's, that's a nice graphic up there. We've got this thing together. We're, we're looking at um, what, it, what it looks like throughout God's, throughout history, the history of God's people living in the world as strangers, as citizens of a far country at times while they're citizens of a, um, of a nearer country, or sometimes living as strangers in the land or as refugees in the land, as sojourners in the land while having our citizenship and our hope and our vision set on a far country. And we see that, we're starting with Abraham today, we'll see that with people like Moses, Daniel, Jeremiah, Jesus, and Paul. So we're going to look at what what this means, what it looks like throughout these people's lives throughout Scripture, and we want to be asking questions like, what does it look like for us to have our citizenship in a far country? In the country that Jesus is establishing, that, that we have gained uh, membership in, if we uh, citizenship in, if we find our hope in Him. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us today in this country? What does it look like in this election season to have our roots and our, and our citizenship and our hope in the kingdom of Christ more deeply than it is here in America? What's our what's our commitment to this nation? What's our part to play in this nation as the people of Christ? And then, what is it that, in what ways, do we need to distance ourselves from the culture we find ourselves in? So, these are like these are some pressing questions, right, leading up to this election. How many of you feel a little bit uncomfortable about where our country is at today? Like (laughs) anywhere from a little bit to a lot. Um how many of you honestly how many of you feel some discomfort with where the country's at where our country is at right now and like political stance aside just there's a that's the the general consensus throughout the country right and a pressing question for us is what is our part what is our part a lot of people are disillusioned by by Christians um political involvement over the past few decades um especially Christians who are like thirty and younger, they're like, Ah, we we'll see what's what's been done. Um, a lot of a lot of Christians are, are in despair over kind of where our society is at today. What kind of laws do we need passed that will that will guide our country forward and ensure justice, whether it's where we're talking about for the unborn or for the historically oppressed or, you know, whatever the issue might be that, that um That weighs on us, we're we're really in a time of discomfort where we need a greater understanding. We need to to be able to rise above the the politics of our age. We need to rise above the, the mainstream narratives that are fed to us and ask ourselves, what does Scripture say? What is, what historically, how have God's people engaged with society, whether it's Babylon, whether it's Egypt, or whether it's the, the Roman Empire? And what can we learn from that today? You guys, I am, I'm hungry to understand, to gain more understanding in these things. Um, so where, where we're going over these coming months is looking at, we're, we're going to look at God's people throughout history in this uh in this context with in the far country and then that will lead us into a series on mission and so we're looking at okay who are we as god's people in society and then what does it look like for us to be on mission and then we'll take time to understand the empowerment of the spirit of holy spirit within that so that's going to take us through i believe uh february if i remember right so that's kind of where we're headed we're kicking this off today with a look at abraham So that's where we're going. So um, we're going to read from uh, Genesis 12, verses 1-4 through to start this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. Abram went. Alright, so there's, a, there's a, a stark contrast here. And as we read Genesis, you can know for sure that the way the narrative goes, the way it flows and how geography is used, all these things have meaning in the story. So if you flip back a page, if you're looking in your Bible, if you flip back a page, or maybe on that same page in Genesis 11, there's a story that a lot of us are familiar with, and it's kind of embedded within our culture of uh, Babel, right? We even use the word babbling. What does babel? If someone's babbling, what does that mean? Just like talking nonsense, right? Like we, we've, we've, ta- we've, we've taken some of this and kind of embedded it within our culture. So the story of Babel is a story where, God, where, where the people of the earth were not obeying God's mandate to fill the earth. They hadn't dispersed. And something that we can know within that is that God loves diversity. God intended for humans to fill the earth and to spread and create varying cultures and languages. But the people assembled together and they built a tower And they, and what was behind that was uh, a sense of, uh, or an effort to gain control, an effort to um, to gain order, an effort to make a name for ourselves. The scripture says they wanted to settle, they wanted to build a city that would rise to the heavens. So this is like, there's a lot of, uh, actually, there's a lot of like traits. There are a lot of things that I love about American culture. And there's a lot of American culture things that I see like within this story, right? We're like, we are going to overcome nature and we are going to build a society where there's order and predictability so that we can overcome the forces of nature and establish ourselves. And um, there are, I'm, I'm not like bashing American culture. There are obviously some things that some areas of weakness for us, but there's also that's what has led us toward innovation, Right. That um, one time I was, I was in Haiti with, a, uh, with uh, a group of people from the U.S., and we, something that uh, is true in Haiti, as of most places in the world that have plumbing, is that you just can't flush toilet paper. You just can't. And I was there with a friend of mine and, uh, who's American, and, and we told him, okay, this is how things work, uh, and by the way, don't flush the toilet paper. And he's like, well, why not? He said, well, it just doesn't, doesn't work. He goes, well, how do we fix it? I said, you don't fix it. <laughs> this is just the way it is. And he goes, no, 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 there's a way to fix it. He's an engineer also. There's a way to fix it. You just haven't done it yet. And I'm like, okay, but in this two weeks, you're not going to fix it. You're not going to rebuild the infrastructure of this town on this two-week trip. But w- and I laughed at him, and I thought it was funny, but at the same time, I thought, I love that about American culture, right? It's like we've got this attitude where it's like, you can make things happen. All right, so, and that's really what was going on in Babel, right? So, it was an effort to bring order, an effort to make name for themselves, and um, God comes and He scatters the people. He confuses their language, and they scattered. And so, contrasted with that from Genesis 11 is Genesis 12. So, there's a picture of staying. There's a picture of residing and gaining control, making a name for yourself. And then you flip to Genesis 12, And that's where the author introduces Abram. And instead of staying, God tells him to go. Instead of making a name for Himself, God says, depart to a place that I will show you. Instead of order, chaos enters in. Disorder enters in. The unknown enters in. God says, go forth from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. You don't even know. We're, can you imagine somebody giving you that instruction? Hey, um, leave everything behind. Leave your family behind. Leave your culture behind and take off, okay? And I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Like, There's all, all kinds of questions that, that come from that, right? But we read in verse 4, Abram went. So there's this contrast between settling and going forth, making a name for yourself. And uh, Abram's then giving a, given a new name, Abraham. Making a name for yourself, receiving a new name, a new identity, a new legacy. And it's because of Abraham's faith, we read, that he was accounted as righteous, right? It's because of his faith, his belief, that he was righteous. All right, so Abraham left. What did he leave? I want to give you a list of things here, four things that he left. He left his possessions, he left his position he left his dreams he left his relationships he left his possessions he left now he the scripture says that he took with him all that he owned and including the people who were his and they it must have been a massive caravan and they're carrying you know loads of stuff and we read later on that he became uh, his, his possessions became so, uh, and his livestock became so vast that he had to separate from his nephew Lot. You know, like, go somewhere else, dude. We're like too crammed here. We need more space. And um, so but, but what he left behind was his inheritance, right? He's the oldest son. And he left behind the place that belonged to his family and the future inheritance and the land, which is really where the value was in this culture, to own land was really the most valuable thing. So the livestock, they come and go, but the land is sacred. The land is holy. So he left. In that sense, he left his inheritance. He left his possessions. He left his position as the oldest son. The revered role of oldest son of heir. He left his position. He left his dreams, his home country. His, um, imagine your whole life, you're rooted in a place your your vision for the future is rooted in that place. We we can't we have a hard time relating with that in our culture. We're very mobile. Uh, in this culture, mobility was like it, it was about like identity is rooted in place, and um, and God led him away from that. Therefore, his dreams, his vision for the future, were uprooted as well. So God tells him to go forth to a place. I will show you. There's a sort of an inability to dream, right? There's an inability to imagine what the future holds because you don't even know the context that it's going to take place in. Can anybody relate with that in your life? I'm going to be like asking that question from time to time. Have you been in a place where you felt uprooted and you weren't sure even how to imagine the future? Because God might have said something to you along the lines of, go to a place that I'll show you. (laughs) He left his relationships, his father, his relative, his culture, his immediate family went with him. But keep this in mind, his wife, Sarah, was barren at that point, which was really perceived as a curse, right? It's because of there's some, as a consequence of something in your life, sin, curse, whatever it might, however however you look at it, his wife was barren, and that was something that was looked... Very much looked down upon. And his vision for the future is caught up in that too. Who, who are his heirs? What is his legacy? And so God tells him to leave all those things behind and he's traveling with his barren wife to a place that he doesn't know. It's a great quote from a guy named James Montgomery Boyce. He says, What makes this separation possible is not chiefly a separation from, it's a separation to. So how did Abraham uproot himself? But He wasn't just separating from, but he was separating to something. Not just to something, but to someone. He was, he was going not just to a place, but to a person. The New Testament gives us this picture where Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It says, "Let let us keep our eyes. Let us fix our eyes upon Him because He's the... The author, another way that's that's, uh, defined, that word can be translated as captain. Jesus is the captain. In other words, He's the one out in front leading the way, leading the charge. He's also the finisher. In other words, He's the finish line. He's the destination. So to fix your eyes on Jesus means not to have your eyes fixed on a place or on a culture, on a society, but to have your eyes fixed on a person. Our destination is not a place, but a person. The presence of a person. The reign of a person. Abraham leads the way for us in showing us what it means to have our eyes, to have our vision, to have our position, to have our relationships and our dreams and our identity hung up. Hang those things on the presence of a person and not just a place. There's some things that are instructive for us right now in our society and our culture. So Abraham is called to depart. So here's the thing. If you are a follower of Christ, you are also called to depart. You're called to go forth. If you walk in Abraham's footsteps, how many of you have sang Father Abraham before? You've called, uh, singing that song, you've called Abraham your father. He's the father of faith, he's the model of faith for us if you call yourself a christian if you're interested in becoming a christian <laughs> the path is the path of abraham now i'm not reading it's a mistake to read the old testament and think the story's about you okay the story's not about you the story's about another another people in another place but what we see through abraham's story is the way that god works with people so leaving bondage in Egypt. I don't know, have any of you ever been to Egypt before? I heard a pastor preach him one time. He's like, "You got to leave Egypt. You got to leave Egypt." And I'm like, "Man, I'm glad there're no Egyptians here." <laughs> I was just hanging out with an Egyptian guy this past week and I was thinking, "Man, this guy would be so offended if we're like bashing Egypt all day long." But the thing is that it's not about you like physically being in Egypt and that story's not about you, but that's the way that God works. That story happens to some of us. Actually, it happens to all of us where we find ourselves in bondage and God is our Deliverer. And He, he banishes the, the army in pursuit of you. And He leads you into a dry wilderness place. Have any of you ever experienced that? Where everything's stripped away from you and there's a refinement and a discipleship process that happens. And then He leads you into a fertile place. Like the psalm says, He leads me into green pastures through the valley He's a faithful shepherd. Letting go is a part of the Christian walk. It's a part of following Christ. Jesus said, take up your cry, your cross, and follow me. That wasn't for some people. If you want to follow Christ, the mandate to you is take up your cross. Follow him. Jesus called the disciples and he told them to follow them. And what did they leave behind? They left their nets. What does that recommend? What, what does that represent maybe for us? There's a principle there. They, they left their, um, it, it's an economic reference. They left their livelihood behind. The source of income behind. Not just their source of income, like those nets. had Like these nets had probably been used, you know, for, for a while, long time. And they've been repaired and re-repaired and re-repaired. The boats had been used for ages, had been repaired and re-repaired, and they left those things behind. They left their fathers behind, representing family and relationships and pl- a place of belonging, really, a place of identity. They left those things behind and followed him. And he said, no one is worthy to follow me unless they leave these things behind. You can't, you can't put your hand to the yoke and look behind. This is not just something for the super spiritual disciples. The, the disciples were clueless at this point. Jesus called them and then he discipled them, right? He called them into ministry. He commissioned them. They're going out, setting people free, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And they're, like, they're clueless. A lot of them are teenagers at this time. He called them and then he discipled them on mission on the way. Discipleship is not something that we like. We, we get a textbook. We download it on our Kindle. We get discipled, and then we go. It's like you go, as, and you're being discipled as you go. And if you don't go, you won't be discipled. <laughs> if you don't let go, it's a part of faith. There's no faith without obedience. See, we've gotten into this thing. See, Abraham's the father of our faith, and he, he shows for us what, he, he demonstrates to us what faith looks like. We have taken faith to mean something that's intellectual. We've made it into a, an intellectual assent. Do you have faith? Oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> raise your hands if you, well, you know, we might give, give a gospel message and say, okay, raise your hands if you believe. Yeah, I agree with that. Sure. But to believe, in the old English, believe is by life. That's the original word that was used in English. Is by life? Do you buy life this? <laughs> this maybe a better question. You get you get the the kind of switch in meaning there. If you to know whether or not you believe something, you can evaluate your life. Because belief is not about intellectual agreement. Faith is not about agreeing with something. It's demonstrated through obedience. See Abraham, Abraham's faith was not in his, okay, God, yeah, I, I think that that's a good idea. His faith is in his going. There's no faith without going. So for us, we can look at Abraham's story and, um, and God challenges us to go forth. Again, this is not something for like super spiritual. It's not something for, you know, people in vocational ministry. It's for all of us here if, you, if we're followers of Christ. So let's look at Abraham's example. He left his possessions. He left his things. These are good things, right? Things that are gifts from God. You guys, we are also called to let go, to leave our possessions. He left his position. He left his position as the oldest son. And we might not necessarily find our position in uh, our... uh, place our status in our family but rather in maybe in the position that you have within your career maybe you're waiting for someone you're waiting for that promotion so that you can attach that 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 role to your identity you're waiting for that affirmation from someone to say to give you that title of lead coffee maker on sunday mornings so you can Maybe not that one, but uh, although that is a holy role, um, called to leave our dreams to go forth and leave behind our dreams. But again, we're not just leaving things behind; we're we're leaving to someone, right? Our dreams, our dreams can become an idol. Our relationships, God calls us to leave our relationships. So, what am I saying here? That you shouldn't have possessions? That you shouldn't have relationships? That you shouldn't have dreams? No. It's that we have to loosen our grip and say, God, everything I have is yours. Not just in an intellectual way, but in a letting go and saying, God, what can you do? This may sound like a simple message, but it's what's what's um, tragic is how few of us actually do it. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? I, I want to ask you, if you have gotten to a point in your life where you have said, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Have you gotten to a point in your life where you've said, I was, I was talking with a, a family member recently who was in their 50s at the time, and, and they um, things kind of blew up in their career, and they said, um, For the first time in my life, I said, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And it led them forward in this path that has been incredible since then. And I'm not saying like a name it, claim it, prosperity, gospel kind of a thing. But God's blessing to Abraham was contingent upon his going. God couldn't release the greater blessing to him until he let go the lower things, the the good things. The great couldn't come without letting go of the good, and it's the same for us. We can't. God. God wants to bring blessing and fulfillment into our lives, and He we're blessed to be a blessing, just like Abraham was. But how many of us? How how many of you? And I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking with you because I'm with. I'm I'm in this boat with you. How many have gotten to a place in your life? Where you said, God, I'm on this path, but your will be done. And you really mean it. Like, I'll leave this career career, if you want me to. I will leave this place if you want me to. I will go forth if you want me to. And I'm not, and I, I'm not saying that we need to... Um, see, Jesus spoke to, the, to the, who we call the rich young ruler. What did he tell him? He said, um, one thing you lack. Go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. There weren't many people that Jesus said, come and follow me. There were people who asked to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, go back home. Go and tell of what, you know, what God's done. This guy, Jesus invited, he said, come and follow me. And it says he was downcast and he walked away. He turned that down. And it's so that's not a mandate for all of us. It's not that you need to go and sell all your possessions Necessarily, okay? That's not an across-the-board thing. Are you with me? I just want to use this as a as an example for us. We don't look at that in that script. That, those words were not written to you directly. That's not a mandate for you to go sell all your possessions. God might be telling you that, but the thing is, that man's possessions were an idol, and they were the thing he needed to let go of. He needed to depart from in order to make space for Christ. And so the question for us is, what is that for you? What are your possessions? What do you need to let go of to make room for Christ in your life, in your family, in your calling? It's, again, I don't want to just equate this with poverty. Because for some of you, it might mean leave that position of comfort that you have in that corporate setting and go start that business that God has been calling you to so that you can influence that sector You with me? I'm not just saying that it's like, go live on the streets. It might be. But it might also be, take that risk, launch that new company. Go ask for that promotion. It might be, go get that degree that's going to give you that influence. Finally do that PhD, that master's degree, and go for it and kill it and make it happen. Leave, leave your comfort, leave your position, leave your relationships. Let go. You see, you guys, when we're like, when we're holding on like God, God can't, He just, He can't do it with us. But His blessing, and what's crazy is that His mission on earth is contingent upon us going. For some reason, God chooses to work through people, like, God chooses to work through us. Look around the room and say, you're the salt and the light. Let's just say that to the person next to you. "You're, you're, You're the salt and the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And you look around and you think, us? <laughs> yes, you. You see, the thing that we can get into our mind is like, well, we're just, we're just this church and we meet at this place and we're, I don't know, us? Yes, you. You are Jesus' plan for redemption for this city. You're it. You're Jesus' plan for redemption in this county in this nation, in this world. I have right here a list of 600 ethno-linguistic, unreached, unengaged people groups. Okay? 600. I believe this is 13 pages. Yeah, 13 pages of unengaged, unreached people groups around the world. That means they have no gospel witness. Most of them do not have Scripture in their language. There is no Christian person among them bearing witness to the Gospel. 600. Right now. Right now there are people around the world who um, have not had the opportunity to encounter Christ through the message of the Gospel. Faith comes by hearing. And God wants to release blessing through us, you guys. It's not that it's been said that it's not that God's uh, church has a mission. It's that His mission as a church, the church is the design. It's God's it's God's uh, avenue. It's His channel for blessing to the world. But when we hold on to our possessions, when we don't walk in the footsteps of Abraham, His His mission in this world is blocked because He chooses to work through us. So what are we holding on to? There's something that we can take away from Abraham and Moses and Daniel and the rest of the people that we're going to talk to is that God calls us to live above. So here we are in America. I'm assuming that everyone here is American citizen. Um, Let's just assume. As American citizens, we are called to live. Jesus talks about living... um, What did He say? Not not to go... uh, I'm losing Jesus' statement. What, what does he say about living in, but not of? Huh? Help me. We were just talking about... Th- yeah, thank you, yes. In my, I'm getting my prepositions mixed up. In the world, but not of the world, right? So in America today, we, what, what these people model for us is living above our society. So we have this gospel commun- uh, kingdom of God vision for the society that we are in that's informed by the future redemption that Christ will bring to this world, the renewal that He'll bring, and we live according to that. We're to live above and we can look and we can, and we can engage with Black Lives Matters. We can engage with poverty. We can engage with gender and sexuality. We can engage with issues on abortion. The whole gamut. We can engage with it saying, God, what does Your kingdom say? Not immersed in the narrative that's being fed to us by our various media channels. Okay? We're not, we don't have to be puppets that, that, that feed our news sources with clicks and make them rich through advertisement, okay? We can get, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying don't read the news, okay? Don't get me wrong. But um, I'm saying we're above it. We have this kingdom of God, gospel, future vision. We're also to live below it, okay? So our society's here. We're living above. We're living below. We're living more deeply. Our roots, imagine yourself as a plant and your roots kind of pass through America and they go more deeply into the kingdom of god so as the ground shifts as the market crashes as elections come and go our roots are in the kingdom of god and we can live in our neighborhoods as people of hope we can live in our city and in our nation as people of hope and we can engage in social media without being complete jerks but with conviction i'm not saying be, be like i'm not saying compromise i'm not saying be moderate and everything Have your convictions. Let them burn. Let them be informed by the kingdom above and serving and more deeply rooted in the kingdom below. And we can live and be salt and light in the culture and the society that we find ourselves in. But when we get caught up in and informed by our culture and our value is only found in the American dream... And what happens with this? What happens with the house of people in Algeria, 10,000 people who have no gospel witness? Well, we're living the dream here. I don't know. Like what does God say about your 401k? What does he say about it? What does he say about how quickly you should pay down your mortgage so that you can get after it and get what does he say about consumer debt? Maybe you need to buy a bigger home so it can be a refuge for people in your area. Okay, I'm not saying like get rid of all your possessions. You with me? You're saying it needs to be informed by the kingdom above and the kingdom below and not informed by the culture around us. There's a, there's a moment in Acts chapter 1 where... Um, Jesus is resurrected. It's, it's a funny scene, I think. Jesus is resurrected, and it says the disciples are gazing into the sky. And an angel comes and says, hey, what are you looking for? And they're like, we don't know anymore. We're, we're lost. All they knew was that Jesus said, stay until they receive power. He says, why are you gazing into the sky? Fast forward on Pentecost. It wasn't into the sky that they needed to be gazing in. It was within. It was the Spirit came within, right? On the day of Pentecost. They were filled and they were empowered by the Spirit to live above the culture around them. We find ourselves a lot of times gazing. Gazing around us, gazing above, looking for like hope, Just praying that God would just do something like, just come and and just descend and change everything. When what God is telling us, this is what Paul writes in Colossians, that the hope of glory is within you. Christ within you all, the hope of glory. It's not around us that we need to look. It's not to culture. It's not to even to those who govern us that we need to look for our hope. It's not to the markets that we need to look. It's not in your bank account that you need to look. It's the spirit, hope, the hope within. Jesus died. Jesus lived as a model of relationship with the Father. He died to justify you and overcome the debt that you owed and overcome the penalty. He took it upon Himself. He dies. The curtain, the veil, and the temple tears so that His presence is accessible to all people God's mercy towards you is justified. He's fulfilling the law by taking it upon Himself and bringing you to Himself. He justifies His mercy toward you and He justifies you in being a part of His family. And then He's resurrected from the dead overcoming death, overcoming lack, overcoming the curse. And then He through that justification, through that cleansing, He justifies Himself in putting His Spirit within you. And I'm assuming most of us here are Gentiles. Even you. He justifies Himself in pouring out His presence within you because He did what was necessary to make it happen. And that presence within us is the hope. And it's within one another. We need to look at each other and call forth the Spirit. Call forth the hope from within you to rise up. Man, you're bigger than that position. Rise up above. If you see people like just being hateful on social media, man, rise above it. What does Scripture say on that? Yes, have conviction. Fight for it. Do it in humility. Don't be a jerk. You know, we need to challenge each other. We need to challenge each other. This is our prayer. That we would be people who lo- loosen our grip on our possessions on our positions, on our dreams, on our relationships, that we would be people who are willing to go, not just leave behind, but leave to Jesus, to have our eyes fixed upon Him as our destination. To throw off everything that hinders us and holds us back from finding our citizenship in the far country, the nation, the kingdom that Jesus is establishing rather than just a shallow representative. See you guys, we are not American Christians. We are not American Christians. We are Christian Americans. Our identity as Americans is informed by our identity as the people of Christ. And I'm not... I don't have to stand up here and bash America, okay? That is not my goal. I'm, I'm Texan for crying out loud. We're raised to be patriots except that we fly the Texas flag at the same height as the American flag. We used to say that we used to pledge allegiance to the Texas flag in my school on Monday mornings. Remember the Alamo. Um, We find our identity in (laughs) as people of Christ and not just as Americans, but that informs how we how we engage as Americans, not the opposite. You guys, this is truly, truly relevant and especially urgent on this day. On this day. That we remember the temporality of the things around us. The temporality of empires and kingdoms. If you find your hope in the American dream, you will be disappointed. Either in this lifetime or when you stand before Christ. On this day, the 15th anniversary of 9 11, right, 2001, this is a reminder to us to find our hope in the kingdom in which we are privileged to be a part and not in this nation in which we have a shallow, a more shallow citizenship. I'm not saying don't vote, I'm not saying don't engage politically. I'm saying do it with fire in your hearts, fueled by the Spirit above and below more deeply. May we set our eyes on the realities of heaven. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we see the joy of surrender and abandoning everything for Jesus and follow Jesus to be a blessing to those across the street, those across our city, and those across continents. Let's take a moment and pray and then we'll uh, move into uh, taking communion. I do want to say that um, if you find yourself right now, now we, a lot of us sometimes we, we swim in, a, in Christian culture and instead of it being a reality to us, it's a cultural thing and it hasn't really gone deeply into our hearts. And if you have not, if you, if you realize, or maybe you have already known that you have not... Um, made a commitment to Christ and accepted His sacrifice on your behalf, there's no better time than now to do that. And I, I don't want to just pass that by lightly and just assume, you know. But we want to make room for that. Hi. Thank you. We want to make room for that. So if you find yourself in that, in that spot and there's conviction stirring in your heart that, that you're uncertain are you, or you know for sure that that's a step that you need to take, do it today. Do it now. Do it now. We invite you. And if by chance someone's hearing this later, and that's the place that you're at, take that step. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that, that you will impress upon our hearts, Ways that we need to follow our father in the faith, Abraham. Ways that we need to release our grip on possessions. Ways that we need to release our grip on positions. On comforts. On our dreams. On relationships. Lord, may we release our grip not just to let go, but releasing it so You can embrace us and so that You can give to us. May we be people of hope, Lord. And not just people who are stuck in place. Let's just take a moment and and just reflect, meditate, be be open. Maybe there's something that that God wants to, to nudge your heart in.